All right, men, good morning. Welcome back to Leadership 101 here at Christ Covenant Church. Thank you all for being here. Thank you all for your uh, perseverance with us through this this summer. Um, We've got a a few more sessions left, um, and today the topic is the elders in the session. So let me open us in prayer, and we'll get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, great and mighty are your works. You are worthy for praise uh, and awe. I thank you that we can come into your presence this morning, that uh, you have given us work to do before your face in the world, and you've also given us a day to take a break and rest and consider things of eternal significance. And I pray that you would Uh, be instilling in our hearts and the hearts of these men uh, what it means to ponder and to consider, uh, to think about how God is using each of us uh, for a purpose bigger than ourselves uh, in the plan of redemption that he has ordained before the foundation of the world that we might serve him well. And I pray that you would bless uh, this morning, bless this time of teaching Uh, this time of the consideration of the session, uh, the men that you have called uh, to be the overseers of the flock uh, as Christ's representatives here and on this earth at a specific time in a specific place. And I pray that you would bless us as we look to your word this morning, as we think about practically how these things work themselves out in the life of a church, uh, and also specifically how we apply them here at Christ's covenant. Uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, so we are in leadership in the church. We had a couple little change of direction plays uh, earlier in the, in the sessions, and so uh, you guys have already had the lesson on the diaconate. Um, Kyle, I think, gave that a few weeks ago. Um, so we're in this block of, of sessions called Leadership uh, at Christ's Covenant. Today we're going to talk about elders in the session uh, we've hit deacons a few weeks ago, and then next week I'm going to come right back and talk about member service in the church. So we have officers in the church, overseer, elder, um, and deacon, and then we have the members. How do the members fit in and what role do they play uh, in different uh, opportunities and service opportunities? We'll talk about that um, next week, and then, and then uh, we're going to be fairly light um, on... The session's role this morning as a judicial body and thinking about church discipline and how that works out because Pastor Stewart, when he comes back, um, maybe in two weeks, if I remember the schedule, I have to revisit, but we've got three or four more total. He'll do a whole week, a whole session on church discipline and how that works itself out in the life of the church. So we'll do a focus session on that, um, and then we'll have a wrap-up session to talk about steps forward, going forward. So... Um, so before we get started with elders and the session, there's a couple things we're going to hit. We're going to hit um, some scriptural foundation references. We're going to hit the form of government, uh, chapter 6 there, look at the elders in the session just briefly. Um, and then we're going to dive into Samuel Miller's essay on uh, the warrant and natures of the offices and the duties of the office of ruling elder. Um, I'll highlight that. This, most of what we're going to look at, Kyle emailed out a PDF. However, if you've got your blue book, everything I'm going to hit is right out of that blue book. First, about chapter page 10, at least in the version I have. 
um, it's in there. Um, and then we're going to talk about uh, leadership strategies and practical, the practical ways that we carry out the truth of the, the principles of the session here at Christ Covenant. Um, some of our uh, principles and practices. And, and then we're going to hit a lot of stuff to hit today. Then we're going to hit um, an overview, an outline overview I put together of this book. We should have, I think we bought everyone one of these, right? Um, have you guys read this yet? So I'm going to give you the Cliff Note version and we're going to talk about it, but I encourage you to, to read this. this. This is what we have put into practice here at Christ Covenant. We followed, uh, for the most part, Whitmer's model. So we're going to go over that. Um, and yeah, and then we're going to process call a little bit together and then we're going to wrap. So it's going to be like a lot of things that we're going to ping pong between um, the principles and the practice. Uh, principles and practice snap back and forth as we go through it. And that's, you'll, you'll, I think, discover as we talk through, that's, that's the, the, basically the, the mindset of an elder uh, as we have to make specific and practical decisions in the context of a larger strategy, um, which we'll talk about. So, any questions on anything we've done so far <clears throat> or today before we get cranking? All right, excellent. Um, all right, so let's start in God's Word. Uh, I've got some of these references um, up, up on the screen, and other ones we're going to look up together. Um, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, start off with a little grounding. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, so hopefully if... If you guys, uh, if any of you are processing um, the call of God on your life for the office of elder, uh, you have dwelled here and you will continue to dwell here um, and think about each of these things as it relates to you. And we often say um, whether or not you're considering the office of elder, the qualifications for an elder are what every elder must be, but at what every godly Christian man should be. So as men in this room um, and out there, as we go brought more broadly in the church, we all as men before God should be considering these things and how they affect uh, how they are present or not in, in our individual lives. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Each one of these, you probably have a, a million things going on in your, in your mind as you process each of these little sentences, each of these little qualifications. Um, we could spend a whole week talking through each one of those. Um, and we're ex happy to do that individually. We can also do it here publicly together uh, if you want at some point. But um, it's important to be pondering these things privately before God in prayer, in your own life, how they apply. And if you've got questions, seek us out and we'll talk it through. Um, but high standards for the, for, the, for the office of elder, but not unattainable. Um, so it's easy to look at these things and it's easy to sometimes hear teaching uh, on being qualified for an elder. 
Um, the most important qualification, honestly, practically, is that you feel like you're unqualified. That's humility before the Lord uh, and striving to get better. Um, no elder at this church or any elder I've ever known uh, is a picture of perfection in any way, you know, shape of the imagination in any of these characteristics. But all of us, by God's grace, are striving um, as we press on uh, in Christ. So, switching over to Titus chapter 1, uh, verse 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete. So this is, <clears throat> uh, there's a pattern in Scripture, and we'll talk about this more, of churches being set up. And what happens when churches get set up is elders, a plurality of men who are qualified, get appointed. Um, and then the church grows based on that foundation. So this is an example of that. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's an appointment of a plurality of elders in a, in a place. There's qualifications. These men uh, have certain characteristics that we've talked about before and that you see here as well. Um, and there's a principle of holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may in, give instruction, teach, and also correct Okay, so the, the teaching component and a boldness required um, to make sure that the word is kept in a specific location. Um, all right, now if we shift gears to the form of government, um, chapter 6, um, we have not given all of you out a little black binder yet, have we? Um, we need to make a note to get Kyle to order a bunch of those. We usually do that. Everybody should have a the little ARP black binder, it's got the form of government, the, con the confessional standards and manual of procedure and director of public worship, just kind of the reference book, which is an important thing to have in your library um, as an ARP man, even if, even if uh, you're not an officer immediately. So, um, so chapter 6, um, 6 one that the office of elder is set forth in Scripture is ordinary and perpetual. In both the Old and New Testament, God ordained elders to govern and discipline his people. Um, so govern and discipline. Um, to this office of elder shall be chosen in men, chosen men of wisdom, discretion, sound faith, and godly life who are qualified under the standards recorded in Scripture. We just went through it. The first priority is that men are qualified. Okay, and then and then we and those qualifications are laid out in Scripture. Um, an elder must be a member in good standing of the congregation, actively sharing in the worship and service of the church, and giving particular emphasis in the duties of his. To the duties of his office. So you have to be a member of the church, you have to know the congregation, you have to be engaged in the congregation. Um, we, don't, we don't go uh, recruit elders from outside the body to come in and join the session because they're, you know, would be an MVP player, right? Um, it's not like the NBA or the NFL or college football these days. We pull, God calls elders from within the body of the, of the church, okay? Um, it's responsibility of elders both individually and jointly to guard and promote the spiritual welfare of the congregation. Although ruling elders do represent congregations by election, they are to seek the will of God in all church court decisions. Now, this is the first principle I want to highlight in leadership strategy, especially on the session. Americans, uh, we as Americans, can oftentimes, if we think about 
politics, and we think about, and there's a whole first part of uh, Samuel Miller's book. So Kyle emailed you out a, 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 an essay. Um, the book is called The Ruling Elder. We'll talk about that in a second. The book's got a whole bunch more stuff, so I encourage you. It was on the reading list, I think. Buy that. It's a great read um, if you're uh, wanting to dig a little deeper and further study. So as Americans, <clears throat> and if we start becoming too cloudy in our distinction between uh, the eldership and civil leadership, we can lose sight of, the, of, the, of where the authority comes from, right? So um, as an elder and a deacon, but as an elder we're talking about today, you're elected by the congregation. So at some point in your mind, um, let's say the House of Representatives, you could consider that your primary responsibility is to represent the desires of your constituency, right? Um, in other words, your job is to represent, and, and as elders, we follow Timothy or Tim Whitmer's model here, we are each assigned, we'll talk about it more, a shepherding group, right? So you can quickly snap into this mentality that your job as an elder is to represent the desires, the feelings, the intentions of your, the people you represent as your primary job. Um, and that's not in any way. Now, ideally, in a good, healthy church, those sayings are locked up and in alignment that God's will that you're called to uphold and maintain and, and, and promote in the life of the church is also what your people not only need but want. But it's not always the case. So the job of an elder is not in a session meeting and in any decision not to um, represent the desires of the people necessarily as the first priority the the intention is to represent and promote what god's will is for the church based on the plurality of men who've been called to that office's judgment and wisdom and discretion and prudence and we'll talk about that in a minute um, so is that clear the elders do represent congregation by election but they are to seek the will of god in all church court decisions not the will of man and that can play itself out in different ways. You all maybe have experiences or thoughts that come to your mind. But elder is the church an elder-led church or a congregation-led church? Um, and it should be a God-led church that God has given that authority to the elders to maintain. And in a healthy church, those things are in lockstep. And that's what our job is as elders is to help those things be in lockstep so that the desires of the congregation are in alignment with God's will. So um, 6.4, important. Um, 6.5, the lowest court of the church called the session is charged with spiritual oversight and governance of an individual congregation within the jurisdiction of a presbytery. So a session is, is a court, and we'll talk about church discipline in a couple of weeks, um, but the lowest level of authority in, a, in the hierarchy of the Presbyterian church is the session, and then accountability-wise, the session is accountable to presbytery, and that's a group of elders and pastors, and then presbytery is accountable to synod. And if you know, if you are, if you've ever been a part of these things, the plurality gets bigger as you go up in the accountability, right? So the checks t tend to balance and become more wise, hopefully, and prudent uh, as you accelerate or elevate the the um, accountability. Um, and then the final that I'm going to highlight here: the session shall have as its primary responsibility the spiritual oversight of the congregation. So Acts chapter six, uh, the deacons were appointed to. Uh, take care of the physical needs of the congregation and the elders, the spiritual needs. Now, there's some overlap there in how 
we set strategy and vision. We'll talk about that in a second when we get more practical in relation to how the deacons and the elders interact. Um, but three slides, three big principles on uh, three big uh, categories of principles on the elders in the session. Um, any questions on that before I talk about Samuel Miller's comments? Okay, so um, anybody ever heard of Samuel Miller before this class? Okay, some, but not many. So Sam, I put a couple of things up here to give you some, some ideas. So Samuel Miller, 1769 to 1850, he was a pastor for 20 years, pastoral ministry. Um, and then he was called to be the second instructor hired at Princeton Seminary in 1813. Um, he was professor of ecclesiastical history and church government for 35 years and um, he authored this book that I showed you a minute ago. Um, within that book is an essay on the warrant, nature, and duties of the office of ruling elder in the Presbyterian Church. And it's really a, just a wonderful textbook reference for the eldership. And it is, as the, a quote here from the, from the publisher in the, in the preface of this book says, prior to Miller's book on the ruling elder, there was no work in American Presbyterianism which provided a systematic treatment on the subject. And now... This has been published. It became a textbook for all subsequent discussion on the eldership. So I encourage you to get it and read it. Uh, fantastic stuff. I want to point out a couple things from his text right out of your blue book. So if you, if you have it, I'm on, page, I'm on my page 12. I'm assuming we have the same um, reference here. So I'm all the way down at the bottom of page 12. Does everybody see the nature and duties of the office of the ruling elder on page 12? Okay, so down at the bottom, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read down at the bottom the last paragraph. The ruling elder, no less than the teaching elder, is to be considered as acting under the authority of Christ in all that he rightfully does. If the office of which we speak was appointed in the apostolic church by infinite wisdom, if it is an ordinance of Christ just as much as that of the minister, then the former equally with the latter is Christ's officer. He has a right to speak and act in his name, and though elected by the members of the church and representing them in the exercise of ecclesiastical rule, Yet he is not to be considered as deriving his authority to rule from them any more than he, is he who labors in the word and doctrine derives his authority to preach and administer other ordinances from the people who make choice of him as their teacher and guide. So this is Samuel Miller's take on uh, elders being under God's authority and also a nuance that a lot of you know, people, we in general oftentimes too, you want to look at an organization and see who's the guy on top, right? You want to see an org chart. I don't know how many times people have come into Christ's covenant that have not been from a Presbyterian background and said, okay, uh, do you guys have an org chart on your website? Can you show me your org chart? Who's the CEO? And I'm like, slow down. Um, and the org chart's easy. We actually made one at the request of, of a couple of people that were asking. Um, but the top of it is the session, and it's wide, right? There's no, uh, Neil doesn't get two votes in the session meeting and Kyle gets one and a half uh, and the rest of the elders get one. Everybody, you have a, a session that has equal, different roles within the session. The PCA distinguishes those between teaching and ruling elders. Um, the, the scriptures, the ARP just calls everybody elders um, and well, elders and pastor to distinguish um, the, the authority is the same, but to distinguish the, the, the role um, uh, the scriptures talk about those who are called to vocational ministry being due their wages, uh, having special concern for those that are called to preach and teach. 
Um, and so Neil, Kyle, Ordain have a different educational requirement uh, and they are members of Presbytery and not the local church, but they're under Christ's authority and to some extent under the session's advisement and counsel, not technically under authority, but equal members on the session in terms of ruling and governing the church. Okay? To the pastor? To the pastor, yeah. Yeah. To the yeah, so great care. Miller talks about taking great care um, with, uh, I mean, the pastor of the church is the moderator of the session, and without a doubt, the spiritual head of the session, as he should be, uh, his primary shepherding group, the way we've set it up at Christ's Covenant, is the session and our families. Um, so without a doubt, if, we have, if we've called a pastor that's not our spiritual advisor, then we've made a mistake, right? Um, and the first group that the pastor should be most concerned about shepherding is that group of elders first. And absolutely, um, he should be the expert in the room on theological questions. Um, however, at the end of the day, and Sammy Miller talks about this, that any elder, uh, if can convince the plurality of men that should be digging pretty deep too, uh, then that vote is just as equal with that of the pastor. But great care and great attention should be paid to, to the pastor's opinion on certainly matters that where he's you know, more educated than we are related to theology. Um, Good question. Yeah, so we'll talk about this in shepherding a little bit, but just to hit it really quickly, we, um, so every elder has a shepherding group. Neil does not have a shepherding group other than the session, but every elder and the pastor is on somebody's shepherding group. So I'm the steward shepherding elder, um, and um, I believe, I can't remember who, Oh, I'm also the Lockhart Shepherding Elder, so that's the way that worked out this time. Um, but things get moved around. But everybody has a, everybody has a Shepherding Elder all the way. And you know, Jim is my family's elder, for example. Well, that would that would be the the outlet for that would be uh, his shepherding elder and the session at large, right? Um, but he also the the one of the reasons why pastors uh, and I'm speaking from my own opinion on practical reasons that pastors are members of presbytery is because they also have uh, a peer level accountability broadly within the presbytery, right? So, you know, there's pastors in our presbytery that will come and have Neil take him out to lunch and there'll be some, you know, discipleship that's going on there or vice versa, right? Uh, and so that, that um, brotherhood at Presbytery is also an accountability place as well. Yeah, in Presbytery, in the ARP, there was a, there's a, in our Presbytery, there's a, 
there, there was a, uh, a, um, a committee called Candidates and Credentials, and then there was another committee called Minister and His Work. Uh, that was that basically stepped in at different times where a pastor was having some trouble, whether personal or trouble with people that were, you know, giving him a hard time or whatever it is, and steps into that and helps. At Grace Presbytery right now, those those committees have been combined, and so that committee takes care of pastors from the examination and in practical, you know, situations that come up too. And Neil's on that committee right now. So, okay. Um, So let's jump down page 13. Um, the ruling elder of each church are called to attend to a public and formal and a more private sphere of duty. With regard to the first, public and formal duties of their office, they form in the church to which they belong a bench or a judicial court called among, the church, called among us the church session, other Presbyterian denominations, the consistory, both expressions importing a body of ecclesiastical men sitting and acting together as their representatives and for the benefit of the church. This body of elders with the pastor at their head and presiding at their meetings forms a judicial assembly by which all the spiritual interests of the congregation are to be watched over, regulated, and authoritatively determined. Authoritatively determined. In the church session, down at the bottom, skipping a paragraph. In the church session, Jacob, this is to your question. In the church session, whether the pastor is present and presiding or not, every member has an equal voice. The vote of the most humble and retiring ruling elder is of the same avail as that of his minister, so that no pastor can carry measure unless he can obtain the concurrence of the majority of the eldership. And as the whole spiritual government of each church is committed to its bench of elders, the session is competent to regulate every concern and to correct everything which they consider amiss in the arrangement or affairs of the church. Every individual of the session is, of course, competent to propose any new service plan or measure which he believes will be for the benefit of the congregation. And if a majority of the elder concur with him in any opinion, um, it may be adopted. Then it goes on to say if there's a disagreement between the pastor and the session, great care should be taken in, in deferring to the pastor. But if the session believes the pastor is in error then there's a way to first at the session level and then appeal that to Presbytery if, if need be, if there's a problem. And who would get involved at that point would be the committee from Presbytery um, ministering his work. Um, second, second paragraph on page 14. This is important. And as the members of the church session, whether assembled in their judicial capacity or not, are the pastors, counselors, and colleagues in all matters relating to the spiritual rule of the church. So it is their official duty to encourage, sustain, and defend him in the faithful discharge of of his duty. It is deplorable when a minister is assailed for his fidelity by the profane or the worldly. If any portion of the eldership either takes part against him or shrinks from his active and determined defense, it is not meant, of course, that they are to consider themselves bound to sustain him in everything he may say or do, whether right or wrong, but that when they really believe him to be faithful, both to truth and duty, they should feel it their duty to stand by him, to shield him from the errors of the wicked, and to encourage him as far as he obeys Christ. So that's a huge job of the elders. The reason that, uh, so I hesitate to say the reason, I don't know the reason, but practical good things from a plurality of men um, is that if there's work to be done in the church, right, uh, and sometimes there's pointed work to be done, Sometimes people need correction. Sometimes 
people are going a wrong direction and a part of protecting people we'll talk about in shepherding in a minute is to call them out of darkness and into light and sometimes that's not if you're if you're one of those if you're getting called out of darkness you you either you don't know you're in darkness or you don't like that you're being called out right and so the pastor oftentimes in many churches is the point of that arrow right but not in a presbyterian not in a well-functioning presbyterian eldership you broaden that and uh, we take every step we can, sometimes we're successful, more successful than others, to not have Neil lead or Kyle lead always in those situations. You want the, you want the, uh, the session to kind of be, we often think about football, we got the offensive line, right? The session is in front, in front, and in the, in the leadership of the church, pushing forward, and if there's blows to be taken, that the session takes them instead of everything coming at the pastor. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how, 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 how many good, strong elders you have. The pastor will always be viewed by the congregation as uh, the point. And attacks, if, if Satan's going to attack the church, the first place they're going to go is tear, the man that's up there in the pulpit preaching the word of God. If I can tear him down. Satan will say, if I can tear him down, if I can mess with his family, if I can mess with his marriage, if I can you know, tear apart his confidence, if I can cause conflict, if I can have him say something that's true, have it misinterpreted and have it distorted so that he's focused on this you know, relationship that, that got busted over here, then he's distracted from preaching the word and Satan wins. The church is stopped, right? It doesn't matter how, 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 how strong of elders you have, that'll be reality, right? So we have to do everything we can to broaden that load for the pastors and so we most of the time will have plenty of opportunities uh, to defend him where we believe him to be faithful where he's being attacked that's 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 very common Um, it's not very common that we have to hold a pastor to account in areas that he messed up and he's not faithful when it happens it happens and you do it and you don't hesitate behind closed doors matthew 18 conflict resolution talk about that in a second Um, but as an elder, you often have, to have chances every week uh, to defend the pastor from an attack uh, that may or may not even, the person attacking may or may, or may not even know, oftentimes they don't know that they are attacking, um, but come to his determined defense where he is shown to be faithful. Um, and that's true with Kyle, and it's also true, as we'll talk about uh, as well here, with other elders on the session too. Um, but I don't want to jump ahead too much. Um, does that make sense? I've highlighted this paragraph and 12 years ago, and I revisit it often. Um, very important uh, duty of the session to be that broad point of the spear so that the pastor's not. Um, okay, so switch over. Let's take a look real quick um, at a couple things to set the stage for what I want to talk about next. Um, qualifications for the office of an elder. Um, so I'm not sure in your book or not, but in here, and also in what Kyle printed off, the section he printed off. In fact, Kyle typed all that out. <laughs> he didn't have a PDF of what he was emailing you. He just had the book, and he couldn't find it. And I had it, and I, he didn't ask me, and I forgot to tell him. So he, everything he sent you, he, he typed out, <laughs> which, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's dedication to the leadership training class. So thank him for that when, when you see him next. 
And so qualification for the office of elder, number one, an elder then ought, first of all, to be a man of unfeigned and approved piety. It is to be regretted when the piety of any member of the church is doubtful or evidently feeble and wavering. It is deplorable when any who name the, Christ, name the name of Christ manifest so much indecision in their profession, so much timidity and unsteadiness in their resistance to error and sin, so much conformity to the world, and so little of that undaunted, ardent, and thorough adherence to the professed principles as to leave it dubious with many whether they are on the Lord's side or not. And that's just people. But how much more deplorable when anything of this kind appears in those who are appointed to watch, preside, and exert an extensive influence over a portion of the family of Christ. Um, all this is is to cause us all uh, who will have to give an account to shaking your boots a little bit about the concept of taking a position where you have a position of influence other, over other people. You should be... Now, one reaction to that is I could never be qualified... Uh, I'm never going to live up, and I'm never going to engage. Um, that's the wrong attitude because of every, uh, we all have that, just <laughs> full disclosure. Everybody has that understanding. Everybody reads, those, reads 1 Timothy 3 and thinks, oh, man, I've uh, got a lot of work to do. God help me. Uh, and if every man said, well, I'm just not good enough, then there wouldn't be a church, right? So God impresses on fallen men. This is important. The plurality is because the session is not perfect guys. The session is broken, fallen sinners that God has called to do something specific in the church. Right? So if God's calling you to do it, pay up, sit up, you know, put your big boy pants on and listen. Okay? Uh, and then there's a job to do. We got to do it. And we also have to humbly realize that we have a, we have a, our sin effects is bigger than an individual member's sin. Um, when we mess up and do something dumb, especially if it's public, uh, it affects, you know, in this case now, pushing on 500 people. Okay, so um, unfeigned and approved piety from Samuel Miller. Number two, um, and then in the, later in that he talks about a zeal um, for, uh, to, be spend, to be spent, to spend and be spent for Christ. Um, we talked about we talked about the law and earlier in the session, and that heart for God, that heart for being pleasing to God, um, that's an important qualification for the office of elder. Uh, number two, it is important to be possessed with good sense and sound judgment. Okay, good sense and sound judgment. He who bears the office in question is called uh, to be in discussion with all classes of people, to engage in the most arduous and trying duties, and to deliberate and decide on some of the most perplexing questions that can come before the human mind. Can it be doubted that good sense and sound judgment are indispensable to the due discharge of such a official work as this? So we need men who have good sense and sound judgment. We're pivoting a little bit to practicality. Um, number three, ought to be sound in the faith and well-informed in relation to gospel truth. So you've got to know your doctrine. Okay? Um, Kyle talked about um, when the, a little bit down here in this, chat, in this section 3. Accordingly, when this class of officers is ordained in our church, we call upon them to do what we do not require from the private members of the church, solemnly and publicly to adopt the confession of faith as contained in, as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures. So Kyle talked about, hey guys, just remember, if you want to be an officer in the church, as a member, we just ask you to acknowledge that the doctrinal standards of our church are founded on Scripture. As an officer, you have to say, that I recognize that, and I also adopt them, can defend them, and, and can teach them, and am willing to teach them, adopt them, and defend them as my own convictions. Because if we're not operating, we can't, we can't 
be the session that we need to be if we're not all singing from the same sheet of music. Now, at that session, I said, hey, guys, if anybody wants to talk to me about what that means, um, reach out. A few of you have, and we've had great conversations. I, I extend that offer again. If anybody wants to talk about what that means practically, um, let's talk uh, individually one-on-one. -on -one. But um, exceptions to the Westminster Confession are allowed in certain areas. That's true from presbytery, uh, pastors all the way down to elders, uh, but in general, we need to be on the same page doctrinally. So hopefully that's clear. Um, and then number four there, number four, an elder ought to be a man of eminent prudence. Eminent prudence. So prudence, what prudence means wise and practical affairs. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, the next page, the maximum of the wise man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. It applies to every human being, especially to every professing Christian, but above all to everyone who is appointed to maintain truth, order, purity, peace, and love in the church of God. So if you're a guy who, who speaks first and then thinks, then you need to put, if you want to be an officer in the church, you need to slow down a little bit. You also need to remember that th words that you say um, are immediately taken as authoritative. So be you know, slow to speak, especially... If somebody asks you, a, you know, an important doctrinal question and you don't know the answer, a lot of times as elders we want to think we have all the answers. We've been elected to this important office. That means we're really, really smart and we should be able to on the spot you know, give you know, wise counsel. Uh, if you don't know, you don't know. Just say, I have no clue, uh, but I'll work on that and I'll get back to you in a week, in two weeks, pull in the counsel of other men or go study yourself and then give a right answer instead of just talking because you think you should, that's pride. Okay, so subtle, subtle, subtle detail there, but very important. Um, if you speak, make sure you know what you're saying. Um, and finally, number seven, five and six were skipped in the outline. That's okay, though, those of you who are paying attention. Uh, the last qualification in which I shall dwell as important in the office bearer is Zeal and a spirit of prayer. Okay, zeal for and a spirit of prayer. Realizing that everything that we do uh, and any ability we have to do it as elders in the church and as men before God comes from God, and therefore we should be praying for His counsel, wisdom, guidance, and direction in all these decisions that we have to make, um, and in favor in leading the church. Um, okay, Samuel Miller. If you haven't read the book, get it. If you haven't read that essay, get it. Um, I want to shift now. I want to pivot a little bit to this point number five was, or point number four, wherever it was, imminent prudence. Okay? So I'm going to go through a couple things about how practically uh, the session at Christ's covenant uh, operates. Um, those of you who have been on Lead with Character know that Steve May uh, highlights this quote from Sung Tzu uh, on the way up the hill into VMI, I believe. Um, it's a great opportunity to highlight um, in war how this truth can be applied. Um, but if you think about leadership in general, um, it's not, so I guess a preface here. Um, leadership principles. God gave us a way that leads to life. He gave us things that work because they're true. And we shouldn't be surprised that they, these principles work in the church. It works in family leadership. It works in business leadership. That's why people like Steve May can have a conversation about Christian uh, male leadership 
and have it directly applicable to organizational leadership. Um, the church is not a business, but if you treat the church, uh, if, you do, if you don't approach the church in a in practical, wise, you know, using leadership principles, then there's going to be trouble in the church. So we shouldn't think anything that I consider wise in business should be kept out of the church because they're separate. All these things, God has command over all things, and he gave us all things, and they, these truths apply whether you're leading an organization or whether you're leading a church. Okay, so, quote, strategy without tactics is the slowest path to victory. Tactics without strategy is the quickest path to defeat. What is strategy? What's tactics? Good. So an example is, uh, um, an example is, I want to be a, a man who whose family um, uh, is in church. Um, that's a strategy. I want to be a man whose family is in church regularly. Um, tactics could be, uh, I'm going to specifically um, have the kids in bed at you know eight thirty, nine o'clock, nine thirty, whatever it is on Saturday night. I'm going to. Um, talk to them about the order of worship ahead of going into the service. I'm going to do everything I can on Sunday morning to bring peace into hectic schedules and um, everybody trying to get ready to get out the door at the same time where Satan will attack and try to divide your family. I'm going to try to make it a peaceful, even if that means getting up multiple hours before everybody else and having breakfast ready so everything's easy to get there. Those are tactical decisions, one foot in front of the other, nose kind of down right you're making pancakes right you're putting chocolate chips in pancakes but you're putting chocolate chips and pancakes to get the family to church to worship god right so an elder a man of god should be able to snap between tactics and strategy quickly and this is what we do in the session regularly is there's a fire to fight there's a decision to be made um, but every decision that's made should be in the context of a larger strategy. And we should hold each other accountable to that. If there's, if there's a decision that needs to be made that is completely mundane and who cares, then think about why it cares, because it probably does. There's some, that, there's some decisions you have to make that just don't matter, and they're not really assigned to any strategy, perhaps. But you need to consider it. Anything I'm doing here tactically, is it in line, is it consistent with or against the larger strategy? Um, as men before God, we've got to think in those ways. Snap between... Practically, we've got to put one foot in front of the other, but it needs to be in a direction that's to an end that, we, that, that is God's will. Strategy, tactics. Okay, so um, what's our big picture strategy um, as a session? Um, so I put up a few bullets here. Vision casting and leadership strategy. And this is vision casting and leadership strategy at Christ's covenant. Um, number one, God gives us the men. When we talk, when we go before the congregation, we stand up. We're not just saying this; it's what we actually believe. That we we pray. We're praying now. God, make it clear who the men are that you want to be on the session at Christ Covenant Church, on the diaconate at Christ Covenant Church. And then God makes that clear through call in your heart, through confirmation from the session, and through confirmation from the congregation. Okay, so we God gives us the men. We have to figure out how to work together. Um, so what do we do? Well, we take very seriously the collective body of the session and how we interact and how we are able to process and make decisions. Um, we do a yearly, at least yearly, uh, vision casting retreat where the goal is to kind of get together, uh, talk about uh, 
We do SWOT analysis. Any heard of that? Strength, weakness, opportunity, threats. We think about what are the strengths of the church? What are the weaknesses? What are the opportunities for improvement? Uh, where, what are our threats? Where is Satan potentially coming in and attacking the church? And what can we do to mitigate that? Taking a step back and assessing uh, the church. When new guys come on, um, we do a, a pretty in-depth uh, study. We contract uh, with Paul Molnar, who's a great friend of the church. He's got a consulting business in organizational leadership. Um, we consult with him to talk about, to help us understand each other. Um, you know, you think about many of you in business have taken the, the Myers-Briggs stuff. You've taken Demaic. You've taken, uh, we've used what Paul is, uses in his uh, business called Culture Index at different times. But the point of that is not to put people in boxes. But the point is to understand, hey, I'm a guy that, that is analytical thinker. Um, and Jim's a guy that actually is an analytical thinker. And, and we, we, in church, we talk about lion, otter, beaver, retriever. You guys have all done that, right? So Jim's a lion, beaver, so am I. Although Jim often presents as more like a lion, otter, right? We always joke with each other that, that he likes pictures and images and I like spreadsheets. And, he, you know, how can, I, how can I make a picture with a spreadsheet? Um, like coloring each cell, you know, differently and making a whatever. Um, so, but... And we actually think very similarly, uh, and we're very similar in personality, but our, our chosen mode of communication, because of you know, God-ordained you know, realities, but a lot of it is the people we work with, um, we default to certain ways of, of looking at problems, right? And Jim, recognizing that, that I want to understand a detail, um, you know, run some numbers, maybe, that makes sense to me, um, Jim wants to draw a picture. Uh, understanding that about him and he understanding that about me helps us be together. Number one, respect one another's gifts and unique experiences. And then number two, understand how those two things can work together. Right? So if I just, if I just am frustrated because I want to bring, I don't understand this about Jim, for example, and I could use Marshall or Sonny or Neil as an example too, but Jim and I have been locked at the hip for, for the most time in, in this uh, in this Christ Covenant Church session, um, if I didn't understand those truths about Jim and the way he operated, it could frustrate me that he's not, you know, valuing, you know, the way I communicate exactly the way I want to every, every time, right? Um, but understanding that about each other and then valuing that helps us to work together. And that's true, you know, we take that very seriously, right? Um, we take people's tendencies seriously and we try to foster um, effective an effective team by understanding about about one another um so a couple logistical things. meeting cadence we meet twice a month first and third mondays of the month the first monday of the month is the business meeting where there's a big agenda uh, we've got items we've got to hit i usually run that as the clerk of the session um, and then the third monday of the month is a vision meeting where it's much more unstructured uh, we have a meal together we spend a lot of time in prayer uh, we pray in the other meeting too but this is more uh, undirected prayer, um, and we talk about big picture things. Uh, we kind of hit, maybe we hit a strength uh, or a weakness or an opportunity or a threat from the past year in some of those vision meetings and talk about direction and strategy. Um, uh, we meet every morning at 7 a.m. on the phone. You should be in person, but now it's on the phone. And those of us, that was before some of us had children, or at least uh, as many. <laughs> um, 
We meet for prayer, praying for God's blessing on the day. We meet for prayer before the services start over in the vestry. Um, and then there's prayer in our, in our session meetings. Um, principle four, elder-led church. We talked about that. Uh, principle five, elders in the front. Dan, do you have a question? No, every Sunday morning. So together every Sunday morning, 7 o'clock. Yeah, so our uh, schedules wouldn't. Now, I- individually, I, don't, I, I would, uh, most of us rise early in the morning. Um, the, the first task of the day is rising in prayer. Um, but it's not, it's not together. Sunday morning it is. Um, elders in the front, okay? Um, elders are, are ones that are, should teach. Uh, elders should be visible in the front for the congregation to see. Um, uh, this is an important principle. Uh, you're going to be, as an elder, you should be, whether or not you are comfortable with it or not, you should figure out how to pray publicly. <laughs> um, you should um, figure out how to teach. Some men are gifted in areas, others uh, more than others, and we value those things, uh, those things and, and let's, you know, pe- people do different things, Right. So everybody doesn't have to do everything. That's important. But elders need to be visible from the front. Um, transparency. Anything that we do, you know, unless it's, unless it's we, we, we strive to be as transparent as we can. Um, so if there is a, a, a private church discipline issue that's not public yet, that we're not transparent about that. That's confidential. Um, and um, with the goal of, and Neil will talk about church discipline later, but with the goal of, of bringing about uh, redemption and the the best way if there's a if there's an offense in the church the best way to bring about a a, a positive end um, is for there to be quick repentance and if the sin is not public then the repentance can be not public and it can be a restoration time much quicker than if everything's gossiped and talked about right so but decisions about finances decisions about direction strategy vision we have our vision meeting with the congregation and and walk through the budget all those things. We want to be open book. Hey, let's talk about how we came to this decision. Let's talk about what our priorities are. Transparency is important. And then finally, accountability. Um, so I want to talk to you real quick about six leadership commitments. These are internal to the session. We don't publish these, but I'm sharing them with you. Um, about what we as a group of elders hold each other accountable to. Um, the first is commit to maintain priorities in our duties. The priorities are God, marriage, family, work, church. Church number five. Okay, so that's the, you may say, well, that's not very pious. <laughs> but if a man is not right before God, he can't serve the church. That's straight out of the Bible. Um, if a man's marriage is not in good order and his house is not in good order, marriage, family, he shouldn't be involved with more difficult things. And it's easy in the light, it's easy to be you know, set in that area and then get sideways because you're putting number five at number one too many times, right? And guys will need to be, hey, you need to just take a week off this week or take a month off and go deal with this issue you're having um, with your wife or your family, your children. Um, you, you're pressed at work. Uh, elders are not called to vocational ministry. Elders have a duty and, it's, and that is, as we've talked about before, uh, work is from God, right? And if we find ourselves at work constantly involved in church issues, then we got things out of whack and we've got to say, no, uh, it's stealing from my employer to be 
dealing with church things all day, which can easily happen. Um, you've got to keep your priorities straight, and we try to hold each other accountable to keep the priorities straight. Now, that being said, this is not zero. So when you're an elder in the church, God gives you strength to do more than most men, um, to accomplish more than most men, and you kind of have to accomplish more than most men because there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and that's just the reality of it. But God gives strength, gives stamina to those he calls to specific tasks. Um, but you've got to be prioritized. Um, number two, commit to value each man's unique gifts and experiences. So everybody's not gifted in the same way. Everybody is not you know, uh, as vocal in session meetings. Uh, everybody is not, doesn't have the same experience. But everybody is there because they're God's men on the session. And so we need to understand what value you as an individual bring, what you bring, and value that and allow it to be shown forth. Um, Number three, commit to speak directly and graciously without undue delay in a debate or discussion. So this is conflict resolution, okay? I'm going to pause here for a second, and I want to stress to you men as strongly as I can that being passive-aggressive as is some of our tendencies, sinfully, to avoid conflict because it's uncomfortable, but then not to let it go. And as Kyle talked about, the bottomless of bitterness a couple weeks ago. Um, to let those things brew and let them come out later, um, there's no room for that kind of behavior on the session. There's no room for that kind of behavior in the church. If somebody is... If somebody offends you and you can't respond with overwhelming love, then you need to go to that person, Matthew 18, and deal with that person about that issue and resolve it. I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, things that are silly blow up into earth-shattering conflict because men and women, um, but it starts with you guys and me um, and Neil and the elders, Uh, aren't man enough or woman enough to go to somebody and speak to them eyeball to eyeball. And on a session, uh, it's even more important. So if I, because in a session, the doors are shut maybe and we're having a conversation, um, we're having a disagreement. Uh, These are important decisions. Direction of the church, uh, the strategy, we may be all aligned, but tactically, what's the first step? Well, we may disagree. And I might, it might be 11 o'clock at night and I'm sick of talking about this and I'll, just say enough's enough I might be abrasive right I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I've apologized to different elders on the session after a session meeting because you know we butt heads a little bit that's healthy but at the end of the day uh, we walk out of a room and respect one another and then represent that decision as our own um, but if somebody gets their feelings hurt then and it's and rightfully so then address it immediately Speak directly and graciously without undue delay in a debate or discussion. In a, on a, in a session room, there should be no elephants in the room. Right? There should be no, no things that are undiscussable. I remember Bill Marsh used to give us, um, he should have some principles that we would revisit. And we, we adopted some of those principles of these leadership commitments. But one of them is there's no undiscussables in this room. Okay? I'm not going to talk about that because that's going to offend you and I don't want to go there. Well, we can be kind to one another. Um, but if there's a fence, we need to deal with it. Um, otherwise, it can tear. I've seen it tear apart churches because when the session gets sideways and start fighting, the congregation loses confidence in their leadership, and 
Next thing you know, half the people leave the church. And that kind of stuff happens quickly when men are irresponsible in this way. So, um, and like Jim, I'm going to hold you a little bit past 10. <laughs> um, number four, commit to respect each other's time, both in our timeliness and our grace-filled understanding of others' limitations. Commitment number four. So, we waste people's time when we have people wait on us. True statement. But we can't hold a, a hard and fast rule about timeliness if we're also holding each other to accountable on priorities. And different things come up in different people's lives, and it has to be okay for me to be stuck at work and just not make it to the first half of the session meeting and ask for forgiveness and press on. It has to be okay for as somebody's walking out the door, a child has an issue, and they have to deal with those things. We, gotta be, we can't be rigid with one another um, when you're juggling 20 balls. Okay? That should be well understood. Um, number five, speak with one voice regardless of our personal opinion. So the session... We can grapple over things, but when we walk out the door, the decision, and as elders coming into the church, all prior decisions, that's one of the questions we'll ask you if you want to be an elder in the church. Can you represent, defend, and teach all prior decisions of this session as your own? If the answer is no, um, then that's a problem. Okay? So we, it doesn't have to be the case, um, and it may not continue to be the case, but in in the past six years, seven years, let's see, in the past uh, 11 years, I'm sorry, in the past 11, 10 or 11 years, um, we have not had a decision in the session that wasn't unanimous. Now, it doesn't have to be the case, and it's okay if it's not sometimes, um, and it may not continue to be that way, um, but it is now, so I'm telling you that, and, and because it's true now, um, And the way that happens is because, number one, we're aligned strategically. Tactics become less important when you're aligned strategically. Um, And then then when we're in a room, uh, oftentimes we treat this commitment number five so importantly that we've already owned the decision before we leave the room. And that's why it's unanimous, I think. I mean, I'll have, rarely, I'll bring a proposal. As a clerk of session, I usually try to come with solutions to problems. So rarely does my tactical solution, rarely is that what happens. Um, and it's great because, uh, you know, Rick will say, well, you didn't think of this. You're right, I didn't. And then Jim will say, we need to draw a picture. And I'm like, you're right, we need to draw a picture. And so <laughs> I wish Jim was here. We had that fun. Um, but he'll listen to it on the audio. Tell your dad to make sure he listens. Um, <laughs> so, but all the, those things working together, the, the product is better than it started. Um, and then I decide, and others do too, that we're going to own that before we walk out of the room. And so usually, um, and at this point, uh, as we go forward, if there was a, if there was a, a decision we were making and, the, and it was like a majority of the elder, we were like, you know, four to two in favor, we would pause because do you, are you really valuing each man's gifts and experiences um, if you're just pressing forward like bulls? Uh, I got the majority. I'm going to push this thing forward like politics. That's not... The case. If men have reservations, we need to pause and think. Um, now, it could at some point, hey, I, I trust you. I understand what you're doing. I would do this a little differently. Therefore, I'm going to vote no. That hasn't happened yet. It may. And in that case, you got to move forward. You can't, you know, you can't be in gridlock forever. Um, but we speak with one voice. When we leave, we don't say, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't really buy. I wasn't, that wasn't really my vote. I was against it. 
That's a, because you know what will happen. Little individual congregation members who are aligned more with a, a specific elder will go and like, hey, what do you think about this? Or more important, more specifically, um, with this commitment, um, sorry, I went the wrong way. With this commitment, commit with our wives to uphold and support each man on the session and the pastor in our public and private conversations. So this happens all the time as an elder. Um, somebody will say, so we believe the word is, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Okay? Now, that's what happens in our worship service. Uh, do you think that splitting sometimes is comfortable? Always? No, sometimes it hurts, right? Um, and it's particularly if that, if that, if that, um, if that word if you're in darkness or you're living a sin or you're doing something that you're convicted of, conviction is never fun. It's always like, it makes me mad. It hurts, right? That was tough, right? So what's our, sometimes our, our natural response to being under the preached word is to be, that was so unkind. That was so harsh, right? Um, and the, when you're convicted, it does seem harsh. Um, and so what, 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 what happens often at that point? Who, who's the guy that's, that's representing God as that um, two-edged sword guy in the pulpit right right so as an elder it's not going to be unusual for a member of the congregation to come to you and say man that sermon i just what do you don't you think that was kind of kind of kind of harsh don't you think it was a little bit judgmental um a little too far um and as an elder your tendency because you're a sinful man and I can tell you because it's my tendency as a prideful, sinful man is going to be to be the tender ear. Isn't it wonderful to be the man who uh, has a tender heart and can relate to this person and um, be nicer? And you, ah, you're right. I thought the same thing. And I can tell you I would never, ever do something like that. Um, because as sinful men... What do we want to do? We build ourselves up by putting other people down. And we want, as men, we want to be the heroes and save the day for somebody that's hurting. Um, now, what did you just do when you did that? Tore down the pastor. Tore down, his, tore down his influence in preaching the word. And more importantly, what did you do? Dulled the sword. It's not sharp anymore. You just said that sword doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. I wouldn't convict you of that, and God certainly wouldn't either. And that is from the, as Bill Marsh would say, that kind, of, that kind of behavior is from the pit of hell, and it destroys churches. So be careful. Um, in those kind of situations, how do you respond? Um, not, in, not in giving ear to criticism, right? Always a safe answer is, you know, I was, I was convicted by that, um, that word tr- as well. Um, I'd encourage you to go talk to Pastor Stewart about it. Um, I'm sure he can give a little more context, uh, perhaps, or, um, or let's look at the word together. Uh, you know, in my life, uh, this is particularly convicting because I do A, B, and C. There's nothing to defuse a situation by, um, uh, by responding in humility. Um, but prideful, arrogance, tearing other people down, It'll come, to you in, it'll come to you as an elder with other session members. Hey, this elder, you know, he's, he doesn't seem nearly as, you know, whatever, uh, kind as you, or he never called me when he was my shepherding elder. Blah, 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 blah. You've got to have each other's backs, okay? 
we're not any good by ourselves. Uh, a session of one is worthless. Um, and so Jim has to cover my deficiencies. Sonny has to cover my deficiencies. Rick has to cover my deficiencies. Um, we cover one another, have each other's back, and then collectively we're doing God's work. Um, questions on commitments. I'm not going to, I'm going to burn a little more of your time because this is important. Any questions? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's an interesting observation because it alters the congregation's view of the session because instead of them doing a session as well, they just assist the pastor. You know, they're sort of like junior pastors or assistants in the church or the board or something like that. It, it displays them as being the authority figures right up there with them. That's right. And in the, if the, our primary job is overseeing the, uh, the spiritual oversight of the congregation, the, the most important thing is to oversee what's coming from the pulpit, right? So that part of that is being up front to hear the word of God and to um, assure that the man delivering it is keeping his duty. And, you know, at times you would have to have a discussion with the pastor. It doesn't happen uh, in our church because... Um, um, we're so blessed with Pastor Stewart, but it could. And Neil's not perfect. He's said some things that maybe at different times that, that he would wish he could have taken back, but he knows it, he corrects it. You know, the session hasn't had to say, hey, you're in error here. But if that happens, and it could, you have to be ready to do it, right? And so we've grappled with, we've, you know, should we all sit up front in the front row? We've decided that priority-wise, if we're not leading the service, one elder in the front leading the service is required. That's what we do. Um, everybody else should sit with their families. But some churches do that. All the elders in the front pew. Okay, um, Shepherding the Flock. A uh, quick outline of this book. I encourage you to read it, Tim Whitmer. Um, Ezekiel 34, uh, I would, if we had more time, I would go through these scripture references. But just quickly, Ezekiel 34, what not to do um, as shepherds. Uh, God uh, had to save the people of Israel from the, the shepherds uh, in Ezekiel 34. Contrast that with 1 Peter 5. Um, I am going to go there real quick. So 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 1 through 3. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So um, we often talk about toughness and tenderness. Um, Speak the word in truth. Um, but do so gently, not domineering over those in your charge. Um, John 21, Christ says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, uh, drilling home to him 
the contrast of his uh, three denials of Christ, feed my sheep. Acts chapter 20 talks about elders overseeing uh, the flock, guarding against wolves. I'm also addressed in 1 Peter 5. Uh, Titus 1 and James 5 talks about setting up churches and appointing elders, a plurality of elders over a group of people in a specific place. And then Hebrews 13 talks about the responsibility to, of those under the, the authority of the elders to obey their elders and submit. Um, so it's important in shepherding. Shepherding is a, a, a membership in the church is voluntary, right? Um, when you are, become a member of the church, you take a vow that says that you want us to care about what you're doing. You want us to be involved in your life. If we see uh, you decide to leave your wife and go off with the secretary, you want us to come after you and say, stop, brother, turn around. You are, you are running to darkness, and if nobody else is going to tell you we are, stop, come back. Uh, and if you don't, uh, there's, no, there's no ability for you to be connected to this church or to Christ. Uh, you're not in Christ if you're going to pursue that with, with this warning. Um, that's, that's a voluntary relationship. I can't tell you how many times um, we've had situations. Well, I can. Thankfully, I can. Um, I'm not going to. <laughs> but it doesn't happen often. But when it does, most of the time, most of the time, if there's any sort of church discipline or public excommunication, it's contumacy, um, which just means refusal to engage, refusal to come. Or, or it doesn't get to that place and somebody withdraws their membership when they realize that what they want to do is not in line with the church. Um, some people want to be members of the church and want the session to say, it's okay to do this, that, or the other thing. And then when we say no, okay, I just want to withdraw my membership. Um, and in that case, great wisdom is needed. You love the person, you continue to pursue, um, but... Uh, membership in the church is it's a voluntary agreement of accountability. Um, and if somebody leaves the church, um, they've effectively excommunicated themselves. Um, okay, so his model for ministry is, is a matrix for ministry, and it's the way we structure our shepherding um, functions here at Christ's Covenant. Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about teaching from public and from house to house. Um, Using that model, Whitmer outlines a matrix of ministry where he talks about macro, public, micro, house to house. And he talks about four areas of shepherding, knowing, feeding, leading, and protecting. Okay? So knowing, meaning you need to know who you're shepherding. Who, who is the visible church here at Christ's Covenant? Micro knowing, or house to house knowing, you need to know the individuals under your charge. You need to know what their tendencies are. You need to know what their weaknesses are, how you can help them, how you can pray for them. Uh, feeding, we need to preach and teach publicly. We need to also disciple one-on-one. -on -one. Leading, we need to big picture, give people directions. Uh, micro leading, we need to be involved in people's lives. We need to know people's names, be involved in people's lives, and lead by example, inspiring other young men or men who are under our charge to live up to either our example or the example of others. Uh, protecting, public warning of wolves in the church. Leading, um, teaching about uh, protection from the front. And then micro-leading is what I just talked about, going after the lost individually. It's a protective function of a shepherding elder to go after a sheep who wants to divorce their husband or leave their wife or um, not let go of a specific sin in a specific area, hold bitterness against another brother. Um, it's protecting them. That's micro-protecting. Um, Seven elements, it must be biblical, 
Okay? It must be systematic. We must have a plan and we must follow it. Um, it must be comprehensive. It must include every member of the church. Um, it must be relational. Part of knowing is to, is to have a relationship. So we have 440 communicant members and covenant children baptized and unbaptized in our church. We have a database called Breeze. Some of you have heard of it. Um, everybody that's a member of the church, everybody that's come to the church uh, is in this database. And within that is their membership status, baptism status, children, all these different kind of things. And uh, every elder has a, a list of every member of the church is under one of the six elders right now. And the elder is responsible for the shepherding of that family. Um, and we often, and when new members come in and when new elders come on, we adjust those lists based on, um, uh, we kind of hold an elder draft to some extent. It's not who wants this, who wants this person. But if you have a, an existing relationship with a person, then you should be their shepherding elder. If you have too close of a relationship with a person and you're kind of like, you know, peer friends before you were put in, put in an authority position, then maybe you don't want to be, because of this prior relationship, maybe where you were mentored by somebody, it's awkward for you now to be the mentor, and you say, okay, let's recognize that and not make you this family shepherding elder. So we're try, we try to be smart about those things. Um, uh, it must include the four shepherding functions, it must include accountability, and it must include prayer. Okay, so... Um, now, full disclosure, 440 members uh, right now, six elders, you do the math. Uh, everybody's got over 30 families. We used to have different accountability goals in terms of regular contact. Um, some of you may be thinking, I haven't been contacting my shepherding elder for, for, uh, for months, right? And some of you may say, um, I get a weekly call or a text or some sort of touch point. Um, our goal right now is to... Is to um, make calls through our list and be in regular contact as much as is physically as much as is reason. We used to have uh, once a quarter we would have a touch and once a year we'd be in people's homes. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, oftentimes the membership grows and the elders don't keep up. Um, the eldership, the elder, the growing of the leadership lags the growing of the congregation. That's certainly where we are now. We have the same number of elders. I was teaching this class a few years ago with the same number of elders, and we had 225 instead of 440. Um, so, um, but it also goes that we've, 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 we've deployed the deacons uh, to help in this way. So uh, the deacons are making calls too and connecting with people and then helping to make connections between uh, this family's doing fine. Uh, however, this family needs you know, to speak to an elder, make that connection. We encourage families to reach out to elders. What often happens in shepherding honestly, is there's two or three uh, families in your shepherding group that need acute attention, and you spend more time with them than you do others. And the finite amount of bandwidth and time that you have as an elder is sometimes spent, there's been times where I spent the majority, every moment I had uh, for multiple months on a couple or a family or a person that wasn't even in my shepherding group. Um, and you know, God brings about those uh, those things, um, and we have to go with it. And there's times when uh, something happened and a specific family um, reached out to another elder who was on 
a different elder shepherding list and we're like, hey, this is a natural connection. This is happening and we just switch it, right? So we try to be dynamic and flexible about caring for God's people in the best way that we can, um, giving given limited bandwidth. But this is a model we follow. This is a model we'll continue to follow. As the elders grow, we'll continue to divide people up um, and um, care for families in the church. Um, so this is another way to view it, knowing, leading, leading, knowing feeding, leading, protecting from a micro and a macro, macro, and a micro level. Um, any questions on shepherding in the church? Okay, so I was going to, uh, the final thing I want you to see is um, we, we're going to continue to emphasize this as you prayerfully consider what God's calling you to do. Um, processing your call, uh, A, B, C, D, E, five things to do um, that, that will develop. Um, first, first Timothy three says, first Timothy 3 says, the desire to the office of overseer is a noble task. Okay, so you should want it hopefully for righteous reasons that'll become evident with bcd and e but hopefully if you want it that's a good thing okay so the first thing is you desire it god's put on your heart over a number of years a a call to to the to the extent that your affections toward this task um, uh, have grown you desire it second there's a need in the place where god has put you you desire it God's put you in a place where your gifts and your wisdom and your, your duty is needed. Um, and then you, that turns into a sense of duty. That starts to develop into a sense, not just of duty, but also responsibility. Duty, responsibility, you're tied. If, if I desire something, God's shown a need in front of me, you're going to naturally, if God's calling you to it, naturally feel a responsibility to start taking steps in that direction. Okay? And this may be, today, this class may be for some of you, um, a step in a direction that will happen in 10 years or five years or, or in a few months, okay? But these are things that will happen in your life. Um, and then finally, uh, you'd be affirmed by the session and say the session believes through examination that now is the time um, for you to step into this role. And then finally, the culmination is um, the congregation's uh, confirmation in a vote before uh, the congregational meeting. Um, and that is how we kind of think about processing your call and how I want you guys to think about it. Um, and then uh, finally, we won't do it, we won't go through it right now. We'll save that for later. But um, look at Acts chapter 20 um, and Revelation 2. Two, two opportunities, two, two places where uh, the Ephesian elders are addressed. Um, in Acts chapter 20, uh, they were admonished to guard you got all these things you got to do. Shepherd the flock, keep things in order. Um, but first thing that is said, and I should really guard yourselves. So look, what's your priority first? Session commitments. Priority one is God. Guard yourself before the Lord. And then Revelation chapter 2, the uh, rebuke of the Ephesian elders was, hey, you guys, this is per- everything's great. You've done a great job. Everything's in order. Um, uh, you know, everything is, um, you know, so if, by all accounts, a great church, but you've lost your first love. You've lost your love for Christ. Everything we've talked about, practical leadership, practical, um, 
you know, leadership principles, how, you know, how do we hold each other accountable? What are we doing? Tactic, strategy, all these things. If you're not fixed on God and your heart isn't in this craziness that God gave us because you love Christ more than anything else and you love God's church and you love God's people and you believe that God has called you to do something that could impact generations, if you've lost that love, then you've lost your way. And you have, as elders, you have, it's very easy to get caught up in all the fires and all the things that you have to do that you lose your priority. Um, and we have to take practical steps to, to stay rightly focused. Um, so, questions, guys? All right, let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning, this time, these men. Uh, We thank you that you've ordained uh, before the foundation of the world that you would work through individuals' lives to uh, grow your church and to lead your church and to lead families. And I pray that you would bless these men as they consider uh, this teaching this morning, uh, that you would uh, call us, uh, continue to help us to press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, and that you would bless Christ Covenant Church as we grow uh, with men who have a zeal for you and your word. Uh, Be with us now as we go into worship. Help all that we do uh, bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.